How many people feel stressed out? Perfect time of year. It's a uh, interesting thing. I, I notice that uh, there are many reasons to get stressed out. Um, many of them in, in uh, our life involves our children, and I don't know if that's true in yours. Uh, and it seems that the older that they get, the more complex the stress can become. I don't know whether it's waiting up for them to come home from a date or wondering how you're going to pay for college education or, or to more serious things like Doug shared last week. But, uh, you know, there are some things that uh, cause stress that aren't quite as, as uh, difficult and uh, maybe are a little bit funny in some ways. In fact, I remember a couple years ago when our son Ryan and I, uh, Ryan was about eight years old at the time, and we were waiting in line at a bank. And um, we were standing in line, and the, and the gal who was in front of us at this particular point was a rather large person. And, uh, you know, kids have a way of detecting these things right away. And uh, she was waiting in line. It was obvious she worked for a courier service or messenger service or whatever. She had a uniform on. She had a pager. And he was standing there, and he said nice and loud, Man, Dad, look at the size of her butt. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you know, and I tried to... All right. Well, and that was the most obvious thing to him at the time. He was, you know, the height, and you got to understand. So, so then he goes on and says, man, look at the size of her legs. And I said, Ryan, be quiet. You know, I don't want to don't, don't say that. And as I was talking to him, her beeper went off. And before I could say anything else, he said, watch out, Dad, she's backing up. <laughs> and uh, You know, some things could just kind of stretch you out. Um, you know, it's not quite as serious, but... At the time, it's a lot funnier today. But uh, anyway, um, so if you could relate to stress, um, then it's, it's, it'll be worth your while to get out this morning and, and uh, you know, to struggle in the rain and everything else. Uh, this past year, it was in March of 1991, um, a friend of mine, uh, Dave, and I ran in the Los Angeles Marathon. And uh, we had trained for about 14 weeks. We averaged 35 to 55 miles a week to get ready for the race. And about two weeks before the race, I started to have real bad pains in, in the front of my leg, both, both legs in the fronts. And uh, it wasn't the typical pain because when you're running 35 to 55 miles a week and you're not five foot four and weigh 120 pounds, um, you can tend to develop aches and pains. Uh, but these were different. And uh, they were really bothering me, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. And uh, so anyway, I had already committed to run, and I tried to take it easy, but it was too late into the program to do that and try to ice them down and all that kind of stuff, and it didn't really work. But I had made a commitment with Dave to go ahead and run the race. So we end up running the race. He ran the race. The race ran me. And uh, when I got finished, it was, it was one of those deals where it was like in the middle of the night, you just wake up and you want to scream. It hurt so bad. So finally, at the persistence of my wife, and, uh, you know, because I knew I could shake it off. Um, she said, you know, maybe you ought to go get those checked out. And I think it had something to do with waking up screaming in the middle of the night, scaring her half to death. But anyway, I'm not sure. So I decided to go to our resident doctor, and we went to the doctor. And I, as I, I went to him, I told him what was going on. He examined me. He said, that, well, you know, you've got stress fractures in your legs. And uh, I didn't know what a stress fracture was. So, uh, you know, he explained it to me, but if you go and, you can, and look at a medical book, the de- definition is microscopic cracks in the bones. And uh, if you're an engineer, a structural engineer, then you know that an engineering manual say it, it defines them as hidden hairline fissures in bridges, pillars, and foundations. 
And uh, it brings me to something I think that all of us can relate to and identify with, and that is that uh, for many of us, the constant pressure and the stress of just daily living, yet alone mixing in the things that we're going through as a nation with the economy, the recession, uh, you know, the drought, and all the things that come up in just daily life. Not, not to mention, in fact, I was talking to, I was talking to a friend of mine who was going to get married, and, uh, you know, and he, he looks at marriage and he sees what's going on around us and how marriages are falling apart and everybody that's married doesn't seem to enjoy their marriage and there's all the struggle and turmoil and, and everything else that goes on. And he wonders, gee, is it a smart thing to do to get married? And that's a real good question. And then if you begin to look at the complications that marriage that, that brings into a person's life, when you look at relationships and you look at, you know, you've got a relationship, hopefully you have a relationship with God, that's one relationship. Then you've got a relationship with one another, there's a second relationship. And then that person has a relationship with the Lord, there's a fourth relationship. And if you have any other kids in your life, then their relationships. And what's funny is that each one of our relationships with our children are different. My relationship's different with my kids and my wife's relationship with them. So you, you, you keep adding all of these relationships, not to mention the relationships that we have with friends, the relationships that we have in business, and et cetera, et cetera. You've got a tremendous amount of relationships that you've got to deal with, and we're all weird. You get right down to it, we're all pretty weird people. And, uh, you know, when you try to figure out why somebody else is weird, you know, it's like, you know, we're different. We're just different people. God has made every one of us different. And we sit around trying to figure out why we're different instead of just enjoying the fact that we are and appreciating the good things about the differences. We sit around and try to change the 10 or 15% of the relationship that we don't like. And we want people to become more like us. Well, we know you, and I've said it many times. You don't want more people to be like you. Trust me. Think about it for a minute. I know it's early in the morning, but you really don't. And uh, so you put all that together and you mix and stir and we've got all kind of tension. And what happens is, like with a stress fracture, you've got little things that are going on under the surface that you don't realize. It's a little subtle numbness that occurs and you try to ignore it. You're hurting, you don't know why. You're upset, you don't know what caused it. You're trying to figure out what's wrong with you and you don't know how to get it fixed. I mean, that's what leads to stress fractures. And as you go through it, you know, it starts to build up over a period of time. And like the injuries that I had when I was running, I felt the pain, but it was a numbing pain. And I figured I could run through it. It was just part of the training. That's the way that it was. And I thought it would go away. Well, it doesn't go away. It just gets worse. If you don't deal with what's causing stress in your life, it'll just get worse. And in fact, this is what Black's Medical Dictionary talks about stress fracture. It says this, After an undue amount of exercise, it's an amount of exercise which an individual is not capable of coping with in his or her state of training. The main feature is pain over the affected bone. This is usually insidious on onset and worse at night. Sports Illustrated paints this picture of a stress fracture. It begins when the shocks and strains of playing game after game create microscopic cracks in the outer layers of bone usually in the legs and feet. If the pounding continues and those tiny crevices, which often go undetected, aren't allowed to heal, they can enlarge. When the cracks become large enough to cause pain, they are stress fractures. Some of us just have the numb pain right now, and others of us have stress fractures. 
and we need to learn how to deal with it. You know, and we try to do it in different ways. Some people turn to booze. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to having affairs. Some people turn to just, you know, going wild. And, and uh, some people, it's amazing, you know, some people turn to uh, buying more things. When if you get right down to it, the problem that they're having is that they're financially strapped to begin with. And so they can't handle the constant struggle and the stress that goes along with financial responsibility or discipline. So they go out and what do they do? Try to alleviate the stress. They go out and buy more stuff. And it just compounds the problem. Some people are having problems in their marriages. So what do they do? They go out and have an affair. And it just compounds the problem. It doesn't alleviate stress. It creates more stress. Or they turn to booze. They turn to drugs. Or they turn to some others. Or they just get real busy in life. Activity. Find stuff to do because then I don't have to deal with it. But the reality of that is you lay in bed at night when all the activity is done and all the things are go- that you have going on and all the people that you're visiting with and doing things with, when all of that's out of the way and you're laying in bed by yourself, then the pain increases to where you want to scream. Then you know that you got stress and you got to deal with it. In 1986, November 7th, Sports Illustrated writes this. November 7, 1986, 12,666 people were in Portland's Memorial Coliseum when they saw Sam Bowie catch the ball at the low post on the right side of the key. Pivot and go up for a jump shot. As Bowie left the floor, those sitting near the court heard a sickening crack. By the time he landed, his right shin bone was all but sticking. He had stress fracture. That became a compound fracture. And it, uh, for the most part, ended his career. So how many of you believe this? How many actually believe that pain is good? Pain is good. Now, I know you're not praying for it. Lord, bring more pain into my life because it's a real good thing. But why do you think that pain is good? All right, yeah, it tells you something's wrong, right? It's amazing. I read an article not too long ago about a gal who had no pain sensations. So she stuck her hand in a fire. She didn't know it was in the fire. She didn't have any kind of warning device at all. And uh, she was just dead into pain. It didn't matter what she could hit her. You could hit her with a hammer and she didn't feel it. And it was talking about how, 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 how tragic that is not to be able to sense pain. You put your hand in fire, you pull it back. God has given us the ability to sense pain so that we can see when something's dangerous. Well, the same is true in our life when we're talking about stress. If you're feeling pain in your life, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that it could be a good thing to try to figure out what's causing it so that you can deal with it. So we need to turn to this book for some answers on how to deal with it. I don't know how you deal with pain, but I'll tell you what, if God made me, and he did, and he knows I'm hurting, and he does, he also has solutions for me, which I need to know. And that's a wonderful truth of knowing that God cares everything about me. And Psalm 46 is a perfect psalm that deals with how to deal with stress in your life. Psalm 46. It's interesting, just to give you a little background as you open your Bibles and turn to it, in Psalm 46, this particular psalm was the inspiration for Martin Luther as he wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. Martin Luther, as, as many of us who know church history understand, Martin Luther went through a very difficult time as he faced opposition. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who, as he was studying the book of Romans, made the, the incredible discovery that it looked like God's relationship with man was based on our belief in who Jesus Christ is and not on the things that we did. 
And so he struggled with this as he dealt with a religious system that said you've got to do these 10 or 15 or 20 things to be right with God. And Luther, as a Catholic monk, said, wait a minute, that doesn't make a lot of sense based on what I'm reading. It says in my Bible that by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor but believe in Jesus Christ. And so as he struggled with this, and he loved the church, and he struggled with what was going on, he struggled with what the Bible taught, and he was faced by tremendous opposition, and in fact they would have killed him as they did anybody else at that time, but he had such a tremendous following. And that was the birth of the Protestant, what we know as the Protestant Reformation, and also the, the, the beginning of the, the, quote, the Lutheran Church. But what... He was, what, what he was getting at was, you know what? He was going through some very stressful times as he was opposed by people who wanted to fight what God had said. And he wanted to stand firm and hang in there when he was under stress. And so as he was studying the psalm, Psalm 46, he wrote the hymn that we know as, as uh, a mighty fortress is our God. So in Psalm 46, if you look with me, starting with verse 1, we'll see what inspired him to write that. And uh, we begin at verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, their kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. As Martin Luther sat and studied this psalm, he was inspired to write, A mighty fortress is our God. Because he saw the theme of this particular psalm, verse 1. Look what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In trouble. You know, as you as you read that, I want to get you involved this morning because see, your stress. I, I can't do anything for your stress. I can't do anything for you. I can't do anything if you're having problems in business. I can't do anything if you're having problems at home. I really can't do anything for you, um, except maybe challenge you to consider what the psalm could do for you, what God could do for you, and that's very simply this: take that first verse and personalize it. Put it in your own words. What does it mean to you? Somebody help us out, for those who don't usually personalize Scripture. Somebody help me out and tell me, when you read this, what it says to you. God is our strength. Okay, well, that's all of us, I guess. Or is it really? See, God is our strength. He's available to all of us, but it doesn't mean that He actually is all of our strength. Because we have a choice of whether to believe that or accept that or not. We have a choice to try to take matters into our own hands. We have a choice to try to figure out how to handle things ourselves. We have all those choices. So even though it says that God is our strength, doesn't necessarily mean that God is the strength of everybody who's listening to me. How does it become more personal? 
Okay. Yeah, and I don't know if you go ahead. There we go. It's as simple as that. Hey, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my very present help when I'm in trouble. See, I put it. I even put it into terms like you know whatever you understand. Hey, you know what? God, God is my. God is a place. God is the person that I can go to when I'm in trouble. When I'm in a tight jam, when things aren't going right in my life, God is a place. He's the one that I can turn to. He's the one that will give me strength. He's the one that will give me comfort through all of it. I can try to go to friends, but you know what I found? So a lot of times when I go to friends, they make my affliction worse. They don't, there's no comfort there. Kind of like Job's friends. So what do you think's wrong? Oh, I think you deserved it. <laughs> oh, thanks. I feel much better about it now. You know, and there are times where that's true. There are times we need that accountability. There are times we can say, well, wait a minute. You know what? Maybe you're just reaping the, the consequences of, of what you've sown. Well, let's take a look and see if that's true. But see, what's good is that I can, say, I can go to God and say, Lord, you know what? He's my instant help when I'm in a tight squeeze. The, in fact, where it says a, a very present help in trouble, uh, the Hebrew term has to do with a um, kind of a Oh, being squeezed in. When you feel like your world is crashing in on you, you know what I mean? Like when you feel like everything is just coming in, man, and just squeezing you so tight. When that's going on in your life, then what he's saying is, hey, God is my refuge when I'm between a rock and a hard place. When I don't have anywhere else to turn, where I've turned everywhere else and I still feel the way that I feel and I still scream at night because of the pain, then I know I can turn to God. You know why? Why? Look what it says. Where is He? Is He off touring the mission fields? Is He taking care of the war in the, you know, in the outermost parts of the earth? Where is He? Huh? He's with me. He's right there. So you know what's amazing to me? I think oftentimes we have problems because we don't understand the God we say we believe. We don't understand who He is. We don't understand His attributes. We don't understand His character. You know, we, we kind of look at Him as if He's one of us. As if, you know what? Oh, He's too busy for this one. This isn't that big a deal. You know what I mean? Have you ever said that? It's like, I want to save, save the big ones for God and I'll try to deal with these little ones myself. You know, I want to burn up my markers on the first couple of uh, holes. I want to, you know, save them until like the ninth hole just in case, you know, we're behind. See, that's our, our attitude is like that. He says that, but that's not the case. It's when I'm between a rock and a hard place, I can turn to God who is an instant help. Every time for everything. How many of you camp? Anybody camp? How many of you actually use a tent? I don't mean this, you know, Southern California, Marriott, you know, Hilton Hotel camping type thing. I mean, how many of you actually use a tent? Now, wh- why do you use a tent? Huh? Because you're cheap. <laughs> Otherwise, you go to the Hilton. I see. Okay, good. Well, you know, whatever works for you. What? Okay, elements. Explain that to those of us who don't know what that means. I mean, we're not talking carbon and calcium and, you know, all those kind of elements. Rain. Snow. All right. Huh? Pine needles. What? <laughs> pine cones. Yes, the infamous pine cone attacks. That happens pretty often. <laughs> that I know it does. Yeah, it depends on... Yeah, well, you might want to keep your tent out from under the pine trees. But I tell you, I don't go often enough to know. It's just a wild guess on my part. 
it's like camping under a coconut tree. You know what I mean? You've seen that happen. Okay, but it keeps you out of the elements, right? It keeps you out of the wind. It keeps you out of the rain. We went camping one time. It was several years ago. We had some friends who were really into it, and they thought that encouraged us by, to do the same thing. And we did that. And I think Dana was like I, five, four years old or something. And, man, and it was July 4th weekend at Kennedy Meadows, right up here local in the Sierras, whatever. And we're from back east, right? July 4th, it's warm everywhere. I don't care where you go. Except for Kennedy Meadows. I don't know what the elevation is, probably five, 6,000 feet. And, man, I'll tell you what, in the middle night, it was so cold. It was like when you have to go to the bathroom so bad, your teeth chatter, but you know you're not going outside because it's too cold. Well, you know, you can only hold it so long, but when, you're, when the kid says, I got to go, they just like, they're not into this. Oh, it's only five more hours till morning. You can do it. <laughs> you know, time concept isn't with them at that point, you know. And uh, so I, we, we brought this potty chair that we had inside the tent. I mean, because it was so cold and it was just nasty. You know, and I thought, man, you know what, though? What, what's interesting is it's true. Even though, I'll tell you what, the greatest place to be was inside that tent. And you know, that's exactly what he says. God is our tent. God is our tent. He's our refuge. He's the place we can go to get out from all the elements. He's a tent. He's a shelter. He covers us up. And that's exactly what that word means, believe it or not, that he's our tent. Now, if you've camped, you can appreciate it. If you haven't, you need to put it into your own words so that you understand it. What? I'm oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Get enough in there. But see... Now, I know Matt, Matt's from the Bay Area, you know, he grew up hate Ashbury, all that kind of stuff, so he's used to that, like a lot of people in one place at one time. <laughs> so, kind of having little flashbacks there, huh? <laughs> but that's true, you know, you get everybody in that tent, you know, and it gets nice and warm and, you know, whatever. But that's true. And, and there's shelter there. Thanks, Matt. Probably last time you'll volunteer any answers, huh? But kind of hit that one area you're excited about. I'll find the rest of yours sometime along 92. But uh, seriously, I mean, that's what it's all about. That God is our tent. A place where we can go to cover us up from the elements, to warm us, to comfort us, to, to give us contentment, to give us hope. And that's a place we need to turn when we're stressed out. So what I did was I broke down the psalm into three things that cause stress. Three things that maybe you can identify with in the, in the world in which you live. But uh, the first one is a changing world. You see what he says? Verses 1 through 3 of that particular psalm, he says that he's our refuge and our strength. He's our tent. He's ever-present help in a time of trouble. When you're caught between a rock and a hard place, when you don't know where else to turn, when life isn't going the way that you thought it would, blah, 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 he is available. And it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I like that. You know what he says? says that God is our ever-present help. He's our tent that will cover us from the elements of a cruel world that we live in. You know, it's so funny is we all think that this world should be a much nicer place to live. And I think it's because a lot of us want to spend more time here than we really should. Because if you don't have anything to look forward to, you want to hang on to what you got. But see, the way I see it is this earth is constantly changing 
because it's temporary. And God is preparing a place for those who believe in His Son for all of eternity. So this earth isn't anything to get too excited about. And so when it changes as it's going to change, that doesn't mean we should be all shook up and be concerned about it as people who don't have a hope. You know, we got people running around wanting to save the planet because they think this is where they're going to end up for all of eternity. But the reality and the ridiculous thing of that, although I think we need to be aware socially and environmentally aware of what's going on around us, but we want to hang on to something that isn't going to last. Although heavens and earth will pass away, the word of God says, his word will last forever. This earth is, is in a place that's going to last for all of eternity. And so it says the world is changing. And you've got to have your head in the sand somewhere to recognize, to not to recognize how much this world has changed. I mean, if you stop and look around you, look at how much the world is changing. They had a thing on the news last night, Rand McNally, the map people. It's like they don't know what to do with all their old globes and maps. they got some great sales going on. You know, there's like countries just changing every day. And they got all these globes stacked up in inventory. You know, what do you do with an old globe? I don't know. They don't know what to do with them either. I guess if you make them an offer, you know, you could probably pick up a couple million globes, you know, or whatever. But, but they don't know what to do with it. And you know what's amazing is 19 civilizations have come and gone. You go, back through, you go back through history, you can go, you can look at Egypt, you can look at Babylon, you can look at the Medes and the Persians, you can look at the Greek Empire, you can look at the Roman Empire, you can go through and look at all of those world empires that were going to last forever, they all thought. And you know what? The only interest now is to historians, archaeologists, and tourists. They're the only three groups of people who care about any of that. Because this world is constantly changing. He says, a changing earth. I like that. It says, And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their, with their surging. Hey, look at it this way. Tornadoes, volcanoes, rain, flood, storms, blizzard in Jerusalem. All this stuff is going on around us. You can't pick up the newspaper without reading sometime, someday, somewhere in this world that there's a typhoon, that there's an earthquake, that there's a hurricane, that there's a tornado. Something's always going on. In fact, this year, it was the worst year. This, is what, this was out of the Orange County Register. Disasters cost for 91, second highest in a decade. It says, as far as uh, disasters go, 1991 was the second most costly year in a decade in California. 43 people lost their lives in more than $3 billion in damage. And it goes on and it breaks it all out. Fire, earthquake, flooding, freezes, drought, toxic spills, pest infestation, dust storm caused freeway pileup. And it goes on and on and it breaks it all out. That's in California. $4.3 billion worth of damage from disasters. wonder what the nation total is. wonder what the world total is. And I wonder why it's all happening. What do you think? I think God wants to get our attention. I think God wants people to know that this world is not a permanent place to live. And you know what happens to those who have no hope? Look what it says. Though all of that happens, I will not fear. Now, I don't know about you, but I've woken up in the middle of the night to an earthquake, and I haven't run around saying, man, this is the greatest thing in the world to go through. Isn't this great? Everybody, wake up the kids. This is great, man. Look at that chandelier swinging. Oh, I can, oh that's great. I can't say that I've ever done that. Usually I'm stumbling around trying to get my clothes on, and by that time, you know, I've fallen six times and it's over, you know, and then you just go, okay, whatever, good. But, uh, you know, it's like, hey, 
it doesn't matter. But I'll tell you what, for people that don't have a hope, there's a lot of fear that's caused by earthquakes. There's a lot of fear that's caused by fire and flood and tornadoes and hurricanes and blizzards and all that kind of stuff, isn't there? But why shouldn't we fear? Why shouldn't you fear? Think about it. Why not? Why not? See, if you don't understand this, then you're not going to know how to deal with stress. Why shouldn't you be afraid? Because we have a place to turn to. See, though I'm in the middle of an earthquake, I will not fear, for I can turn to God who's my instant help in a time of trouble. Now, if it means I die, guess what? God knows. And that's my appointed time to die. See, I have hope beyond the immediate circumstance or situation. If that's when God has appointed for me to die, and I'm going to die in that earthquake, then guess what? I'm going to die in that earthquake. But I can still turn to God, who's my instant help, who will give me peace in the midst of that circumstance. As Paul said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Why? Because God is in control. He wasn't in prison because some men put him in prison. He was in prison because men put him in prison, but God allowed those men to put him in prison. Why? So God's purposes will be fulfilled. So he would sit him down long enough that he could write the word of God. Because otherwise he would have been out on the road and he would have been too busy. So he had to take him off the streets and sit him down and say, Okay, look, while you're in there, let me, uh, through the inspiration of my spirit, let me just pen a few things that you need to get out to some people. You see how that works? See, there isn't anything that's going to happen in your life that should cause stress... Because you know God is in control and He's an instant help or refuge in the time of trouble. doesn't matter what you're going through. This is what the Bible says. Do not I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. Isaiah 41.10 For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Joshua 1.9 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Who shall I dread? Psalm 27.1 See, many of us are stressed out because we don't realize two things. One, God is an instant help and refuge in the time of trouble. And number two, there isn't any trouble that doesn't come into your life that God hasn't allowed for His purposes and for His glory and for our growth. Two reasons. Changing world. I think it's great. I love it. People are afraid because they realize this. They're not in control of their destiny. They're not in control of their destiny. I'm not in control of my destiny. You're not in control of your destiny. That'd be a great title for a book, huh? I'm not in control, and you're not in control. And neither is any other human being that you know. But God is. And so what this does is it forces us to turn to Him because He can provide answers. It's as simple as that. A changing world. The second thing that He talks about is a little more personal, and He talks about a changing nation. In Psalm 46, verses 4 through 7, we see that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. But He lifts His voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, what's amazing is that world events, you know, the dissolution of Russia and all the rest of the Soviet Union and all the things that are going on around the room, you know, world... They don't mean anything to me, or this room. Uh, they don't mean anything to me like the dissolution of things that are going on in my life. 
You know what I'm saying? Out of sight, out of mind. I mean, all world events, as, as tremendous as they could be, they don't mean anything in contrast to what's going on in my life. And so he takes it from something that's a broad perspective, a changing world, and now he makes it more personal to the people of Israel, talking about a changing nation. And our nation is going through many changes. And it's causing tremendous stress. We're moving from an industrial nation, a nation that was based on manufacturing, an industrial nation. And if you go back east and you look at all the steel mills that are closed down and you look at the auto plants that are being shut down, we're moving away from a nation that was based on industry. And we're moving more and more to a service-oriented business climate. And what happens is that causes a lot of stress because people who are geared or tooled a certain way begin to realize that no longer will their services be available. And so they fight and they hold on to what they, they try to hang on to, and it's a losing battle. So instead of adjusting with the change and keeping current with the climate, they want to hold on to the past. And what God is saying to all of us as believers is, wait a minute, don't you ever get so rooted deep that you're not available to flux and change with the climate, not saying to compromise your walk with the Lord, but be available and be willing to change, knowing that God is our instant help in a time of trouble, that He will give us wisdom in how to to conduct ourselves and to move in that direction. The dissolution of the Soviet Union means nothing to me uh, uh, compared to the dissolution of maybe my family or my marriage or the business that I work in or my financial position. I mean, all those things can happen everywhere else, but that's their problem. I've got my own problems, and we've all said that. So the dissolution or the changing nation, what he's saying is that, you know what? Even though the nation changes, even though things are going on, look what he says. He says that she will not fall. And in the New American Standard, it says that, uh, therefore, we will not change, let's change. It says in verse 5, God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. And she will not be moved. The term actually says that she will not be shook up. How many of you get shook up when there's changes in your life? Man, you get all shaken up. Man, there's things going on and it just shakes you up. Elvis Presley was a guy who wrote a song, I'm All Shook Up. It's interesting. When he, was, when, he was eight, when he was 18 years old, he was making $14 a week as a truck driver. Then he wrote a song on a whim, and the rest has become history. But I think it's interesting, and I want to bring it out to you, because it was, a trade, it was basically the trademark of his life. But what happened was, toward the end of his life, he said he'd pay $1 million for one week of a normal life. One week of peace, away from all the crowds and everything that was going on. And, and that was what he said right before he died. Pat Boone had known him for a long time. This is what Pat Boone said in one of his last conversations with Elvis Presley. He said, I cared a, lot about Elvis, cared a lot for Elvis, but he went in the wrong direction. Ironically, we met for the last time when I was going to do a show back east and he was going to Las Vegas. He said to me, Slay Pat. <laughs> uh, just, just trying to keep you away. Where are you going? He said, I told him where I was going and how I looked forward to being involved in some kind of Christian ministry. And he said, hey, Pat, I'm going to Vegas. Pat, and as long as I've known you, you've been going in the wrong direction. I answered, Elvis, that just depends on where you're coming from. I like that. just depends on where you're coming from. It's interesting. There were over five tons of flowers delivered to his funeral. And he said that for a million dollars, he'd want one week of a normal life. And he told Pat Boone he was going in the wrong direction. See, that's the way it is in the world we live in. 
You know, God's people are always going in the wrong direction. We're always going against the flow. And yet God offers us strength and comfort from a hostile environment. And uh, here's Pat Boone, you know, talking to Elvis Presley, 42 years old when he died. And the man's life, his trademark was a man who was all shook up. It's sad. It's a sad commentary of what this world has to offer as a cheap substitute for the things of God. And you know what's interesting is it says that he won't, it says that God is in her midst and she will not be moved. And I want to just mention this to you. For God's people, God is not just in our midst, but he is also within us. And, and because of that, we will not be shook up. Because of that, we will not be shook up. It doesn't matter what goes on around us. It doesn't matter how many jobs you change or how many places you end up having to live. And it doesn't matter what's going on outside of yourself. None of that should make any difference. Because I'm not going to be shook up. Why? Because God is my pre- ever-present refuge. A place that I can turn to, to comfort me from the midst of all the hostile environment that I live in. Someone that I can turn to on a regular basis who never gets tired of hearing from me. And, uh, and the last thing is, it's a changing of the guard. In verses 8 through 11 of Psalm 46, it has to do with the desolation uh, of the aftermath of war. It has to do with the, the stress that's brought about by the end of or the failure of something. The end of life in this particular case. Maybe the end of business in another case. Maybe some of you have struggled and there's an end of a, end of a marriage that you're dealing with. You know, the end of an error always brings about stress. Because it always issue, ushers in a new era of the unknown. That chapter's closed. There's a new chapter ahead of me. What's coming up? I don't know. We try to hang on to something. And oftentimes what we hang on to isn't anything compared to what God wants to give us. And yet we don't trust Him enough to let it go. And so there's a changing of the guard that occurs. And you know, and it's interesting to me that man plans his steps, but God directs his path. And some of us are stressed out. Some of us are struggling with a lot of things. And, and I hate to be so blunt, but the reality of it is, the reason that you're stressed is number one, you don't recognize the God that you say you believe in. You don't understand what he can do for you. Or number two is you don't believe in him and you don't trust him, so you'd rather take it into your own hands. Or basically what you're struggling with is, hey man, what am I going to do? God, I'm not sure I can trust you. And that's pretty blunt. But it's also true. The bottom line answer to stress in this world is a lack of trust in God. It's as simple as that. The aftermath of change. And so as we go through it, you know, let me just share with you three things and we'll close on this. Let me do this. Three applications, if nothing else. Number one, recognize that his strength is immediately available. God's strength is immediately available. Ask yourself this question without raising your hand. You got something that's causing stress in your life, it's causing pain. Can I ask you just to ask yourself this? Have I turned to God for comfort, for strength, for wisdom? Or have I been trying to handle it on my own? Or have I been trying to handle it on my own? God's strength is immediately available. 
Man, you know, I see people struggling in so many areas of life, and you ask them, hey, have you got down on your knees and prayed about it? And man, they'll look at you like it's the, like, yeah, I never thought of that. Well, why not? Well, I've been too busy trying to solve the problem. And it's like, hey, do you realize that's probably why you still have a problem? Because you're trying to solve it. Why don't you turn to God? Who's ever present? When you're caught between a rock and the hard place and you don't know where else to turn, you don't know what else to do, why don't you turn to Him and ask for wisdom? Ask Him for a miracle. Ask Him to change your heart so you can maybe give it more effort in a marriage that's struggling. Ask Him to change your heart. Don't ask Him to change everybody else. See, that's what we're all good at. God, change this person so I can get along with him or her better. God, change this so I can get along with them. Or change this, this, that, and the other so that, you know, hey, why don't you ask God to change you? And then you can deal with what's going on in your life. Recognize his help is immediately available. So you know what? He says, uh, cease striving and know that I'm God. Actually, what it means is cease Knowing I'm God. Or in our language would be, relax. Chill out. Take it easy. Knowing I am God. It means get out of the fast lane. Pull off to the rest area. Stop for a minute and take inventory of what's going on in your life. And just relax. Why? Because you know he's God. Because he's got it under control. The world's changing? Hey, God's got it under control. He appoints nations and boundaries. He sets them up, he takes them down. He appoints kings and kingdoms and rulers and, and world leaders. You know, he appointed Gorbachev, and now he took him down, put somebody else in. There's nothing going on that God isn't involved in. He just says, cease, relax, know I'm in control. Enjoy the ride. Second thing, remember that his power is awesome. His power is awesome. I was on a plane ride coming back from Atlanta talking to one of the guys on the plane. And uh, we got into conversation about uh, several things. But particularly, in this particular conversation, it was interesting. We started talking about the Bible. And the guy said, man, you know what? I don't believe you could take the Bible literally. I said, why not? He goes, well, I mean, think about some of the things in there. Jesus walking on the water. Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and some fishes. He said, come on, you don't really believe that, do you? I said, yeah, why? He goes, well, why would you believe that? That's ridiculous. No one can do that. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What was harder to do? Walk on the water or to create it from nothing? I said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let me ask another question. What was harder to do? Feed those 5,000. And when I told him it was probably more like 16 to 20,000 based on women and children, then it even made it more unbelievable to him. So what was harder to do? Feed those 5,000 or create them from nothing? What was harder to do? Feed them the fish or to create the fish? What was harder to do? You know, I mean, what's harder here? What's the big picture? You know what he said to me? He looked me dead in the eyes and said, you know what? If your guy could do that, he's awesome. 
I said, okay. What's your next question? I mean, and that's really what it comes down to. You know what? What's harder to do? To solve your problem or to create you? To help you in your business or your marriage or your family or with your kids or whatever? Or to create the universe? Duh, what's the bigger picture here? You know, what's harder? But you know what's amazing to me is that sometimes I go, oh, well, God, you, know, you, you don't really want to handle this. This is, I, I mean, and this one's pretty tricky, you know, this is a pretty tough one. And it's like, that's tough? Why don't you try making something from nothing? That's pretty tough. And that's exactly what he did. The Bible says in the beginning, God created. He took something that didn't exist and made something that is. And that's where all our problems come, because it limits our understanding of who God is. It goes all the way back to that. Either God made you or he didn't. And if he didn't, you try to figure it out on your own, but there's no answers other than the fact that we've got a creator who loved us and made us in his image and likeness. And because he did, he cares for us. Remember, his power is awesome. When our kids were little, we had this little song that they liked to sing all the time. It was, my God is so big, and I don't know who taught them this thing, but they used to sing it all the time in the car, everywhere that they went. And they'd do the little hand things and stuff. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Man, you know what? That's some great theology. Maybe we ought to all sing it. Not now, I'm not going to lead it, but... Maybe you ought to sing it sometime. You know, maybe when you're taking a shower, you know, in the morning when you get up, you know, sing that song. My God is so big. You know, there's no problem today that, I, that, that he can't overcome, that I can't turn to him. My God is so big, so strong and so awesome. I'm having a problem collecting receivables. My God is so big, so strong and so awesome. I'm having a problem paying bills. I'm having a problem doing this. I'm having a problem doing that. My God is so big, so strong and so awesome. Drive down the street, you know, if you're going to rock out, rock out to something that means something to you and that's going to do something for you in that day. See, that's what it's all about. Our God is awesome. And His power is not dependent upon us. Now, I don't know... You know, we've got certain responsibilities. We've got to work hard. We've got to be disciplined. We've got to plan. But God directs our path. See, there, there's, we, we do have some responsibility. And so I don't, want, I don't want to take that away, but I want this to be in the proper context. And that is that, you know what? God's power is not dependent upon us being responsible. See, God's power is not dependent upon people. God does not become impotent from a standpoint of being able to have a power and effectiveness in this planet because I'm disobedient to Him. God's program, His purposes and plans still will be fulfilled whether I'm obedient to Him or not. It's not based on your obedience or my obedience. God is omnipotent without us. The wonderful thing is, he gives us the opportunity to be a part of his plan and to reap the blessings from obedience. But you and I are not going to neutralize God's power by being disobedient. I'll tell you that right now. God's power is not dependent upon us. See, it isn't an 80-20 thing. Okay, Chuck, you kick in 20%, I'll do the other 80%. It's not that at all. You turn it over to him and he'll do all of it. His power is not dependent upon us. Tim Hansel writes in this book, it's, a, it's called, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And I think that pretty much summarizes everything we've talked about. But he says this, Slow me down, Lord. He said, Ease the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind. Steady my hurried pace with a vision of the eternal reach of time. Give me, amid the confusion of the day, 
the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tensions of my nerves and muscles with the soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Teach me the art of taking one-minute vacations, of slowing down to look at a flower, to chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to smile at a child, to read a few lines from a good book. Slow me down, Lord, and inspire me to send my roots deep into the soil of life's enduring values that I may grow toward my greater destiny. Remind me each day that the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing its speed. Let me look upward to the towering oak and know that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and it grew well. I think that's what we need to do. You know, many of us are just going 190 miles an hour. And we wonder what's stressing us out. And we wonder why we're having problems at home. And we wonder why we're having problems all over the place. And I guess the question I have to ask is, when was the last time you slowed down, you pulled off, and you took refuge in God, who is a tent and shelter in the middle of a very turmoiled world? And folks, it ain't going to get any better. This is going to get worse. And we've got to get used to ducking into the tent. Or we're all going to have stress fractures. And it's all going to take a long time to recover. See, if I would have learned my lesson, when I first started to hurt, I would have did something about it. But I tried to ignore the pain. And for the last eight months, I haven't been able to run, on my, run again. It's taken eight months to recover. And it should have just taken three or four weeks if I would have caught it early enough. I just recommend that you catch it now. And turn to God, who is a very present help when you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Let's pray. Our Father, we just give you thanks for this opportunity just to look at your word, to recognize that you have created us, that you know our every need, and that you know that we're putting too much trust in things that are temporary. For a long time, we've put in too much trust in our businesses, in our bank accounts, in our relationships with one another. We're all leaning on something. We all have a crutch. Many of us have turned to booze or to, to drugs or to uh, just buying more things. Some have turned to other relationships that aren't pleasing in your sight. There's a, a myriad of places that we can turn to try to find comfort when we're afflicted. And yet we realize every one of those areas ends up causing even more stress and, and more strain and more problems. God, help us to turn to you. To realize that you're an ever-present help in our time of trouble. That you're always immediately available. That you care about us. Our Lord said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, we just thank you that uh, to be able to turn to you begins with the right relationship with you by believing in Jesus Christ. That as we do that, we can then boldly enter the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you're available for our every need, that we can turn to you for help and to wisdom and, and just comfort in a troubled world. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that your power is awesome and there's, you're so strong and so mighty and there's nothing that you cannot do. We thank you for that. And Lord, we just pray that uh, we'll just have a desire more to turn to you, to slow down, to pull over, to cease striving, and know that you're God. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.
Next week we'll look at um, some.